Amen. Would you continue standing with me as we read the word today? I do want to say that there is a memorial service that will be taking place Tuesday morning for Sierra here from 10 to 11. There'll be a chance to to pay your respects to the family and then a service at 11 a.m. And we're just going to remember Sierra's life. We're going to honor her life and honor what God has done in and through her. But I want to read from the Word today. We are in Romans chapter 5, and I want you to hear uh, these verses because uh, in one way they are such fitting verses. Verse 12 of Romans chapter 5 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, praise God, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. You, you may be seated. Praise God. Praise God. Are you thankful for this worship team this morning? We're thankful uh, to have a guest with us, Misty Quinn, visiting up from Texas. Thank you for being here. Thank you for blessing us and leading us in worship. It, you, hopefully you received a, a note sheet as you came through the door, and I want to encourage you to, to pull that out. I want to encourage you to grab a pen. We're going to jump into our text today. And uh, the text that we're, we're dealing with this morning is uh, 10 verses uh, that are considered by many to be the most theologically rich verses in all of Scripture. And, and really, they, they sum up Paul's point so far in his letter to the Romans. At, at the same time, i got to say this, they are some of the most difficult verses to translate, okay? But I'm going to do my best because I, I believe they're important Uh, This passage is so important for us to understand because really it lays the foundation for our understanding of salvation. Our text today begins with the word, therefore. Circle that word, therefore. Whether you want to do that on a note sheet or in your Bible, okay? Uh, A good rule of studying scripture is anytime you see the word, therefore, you are to ask, what is the therefore, therefore, right? 
Now, if you remember, chapter 5 also began with a therefore, right? In, in fact, uh, the Greek word uh, dea is, is the primary preposition. It, it denotes this channel of an act. And so the word is throughout the book of Romans. Sometimes it's translated therefore. Sometimes it's by. Sometimes it's through. And Paul continues here to build on this idea that we've been talking about, about justification through faith alone. In the previous chapter, Paul convinced us that the only way of salvation is to be justified by grace through faith. That's the only way that you and I can be made right with God. And so because of that, in the beginning of chapter 5, he tells us of some of the benefits of that right standing that we now have with God. Paul lets us know, first of all, that because of Jesus, we have peace with God. This, this is peace with God. This is not the, the peace of God that's spoken of in other places like uh, Philippians 4, 7. This is peace with God, okay? In other words, the battle between God and ourself is finished, okay? And he won. This peace with God can only come through Jesus Christ. In fact, Ephesians 2, 14 lets us know that Jesus is our peace. That word peace is a wonderful word, right? Of course, we live in Rockland, so we know it in the Hebrew, it is shalom, right? But here in, in the Greek, the word is irene, and it, and it really speaks of a peace between individuals. It speaks of a, a harmony. In Christianity, it speaks of this tranquil state of the soul that is assured of its salvation through Jesus Christ. It's this state that fears nothing from God and is content with our earthly lot, whatever it may look like. Now, you, you may say, Pastor, well, if I have peace with God through Jesus, then, then why does life sometimes feel like a battle to me? Anyone with me, right? I, I gotta say, it's, it's because of this, because we're in the world. And there are many things that we still don't have peace with, okay? Scripture does not say that we have peace with the devil. It doesn't say that we have peace with the world or with the flesh or with sin. And so those are battles that we still fight. And so, yes, life is still a battle for the believer. But here's what you need to hear this morning. It's no longer a battle against God. In fact, instead of fighting against him, we are now fighting for him. Amen? And so when you face challenges in, in your Christian life, I want to encourage you, don't be tempted to believe that things were somehow better before Jesus. Things were somehow better when you were still fighting against God. That was not a better place, okay? That's, that's a dangerous lie. Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, I'm delighted to find that sin stings you and that you hate it. The more hatred of sin, the better. A sin-hating soul is a God-loving soul. If sin never distresses you, then God has never favored you. Wow. And so we have peace with God, understand this, even while we are battling sin. Even when sin still distresses us, we can know that God favors us. And secondly, we saw that we have this standing with God in grace. We have a standing in God's unmerited favor, grace, God's undeserved favor toward you and I. And when we talk about grace, here's what you need to know. Grace is not only the way salvation comes to us, it's also a description of our present standing before God. When we are standing in God's grace, it means a number of things. Write these down. Number one, it means that I don't have to prove I'm worthy of God's love. His grace is what makes me worthy, amen? No, number two, God is my friend. We sing it all the time. I'm a friend of God, right? Understand, the only way that that is possible for you to be a friend of God is because of grace. 
And thirdly, because of grace, the door of access is, is permanently opened to him. We have access now to the Father. Then now, when you look at that, the, the perfect verb tense there is to have access. It tells us that that standing is a permanent possession. Because our standing is based on grace, we can really stand and we can have peace because we know that our access is a permanent possession, okay? It cannot be taken away at another time. Adam Clark says this, he says, and this access to God or introduction to the divine presence is to be considered a lasting privilege. We're not brought to God for the purpose of an interview, but to remain with him, to be his household and by faith to behold his face and to walk in the light of his countenance. And here's what I find when I, I, I truly understand grace in my life or I get a revelation of God's grace, that I, I find that I spend more time praising God and less time hating myself, right? And, and so the scripture there says that we are to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Understand, that's a, a logical conclusion to living in peace with God. It's a logical conclusion to the permanent standing of grace. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God when we read verses like Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 11, we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Through Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. And so our text this week begins there again in verse 12 with therefore. In other words, because of the scripture that Paul has cited, he comes to the following conclusion. He says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Sin entered the world through one man. Who is that man? Adam, right? In Hebrew, Adam means mankind. Now, there are some who believe that the story of Adam and Eve is just that. They, they think it's just a story. It's a, it's a fable, if you will. That it, it, it was somehow made up as a way to explain sin. But the Apostle Paul believed that Genesis chapter 3 was totally historically true. And, and it's important for you to realize today that the account of Adam and Eve is, is not an optional passage, okay? That you can say, oh, I'm not sure if it's true, but it doesn't really matter. No, the truth is you can't take away Genesis chapter 3 without taking away certain principles that are foundational to salvation. Some will say the book of Genesis, it, it's just stories. It's not meant to be taken literally, but I'll have you know that Jesus took it literally, right? Jesus spoke specifically of Adam and Eve, and he spoke of them as real people. And amazingly, science is starting to catch up with that fact. Do you know that geneticists now begin to talk about the woman from whom all human beings descended, and of course they call her Eve? Now, do they believe the biblical account, these scientists? Maybe some do, right? But here's what they've seen, that our DNA can be traced back to one individual. Adam and Eve were real people, and their actions had a lasting effect on us today. Now, Paul doesn't take time to prove this fact. He doesn't try to prove to us that Adam and Eve existed. He just accepts it as true from the word of God. And he says that sin came into the world through one man. Now, why does he point the finger at Adam and not Eve, right? I know the guys in the room, you're like, hey, it was her fault, right? Eve ate the fruit first. Come on, how many of you have ever said that before? Be honest, right? We're in church. If you can't be honest here, I don't know where you can be honest, all right? But, but there's two things I need you to see this morning. I want you to realize. Number one, 
the passage in Genesis tells us that Adam was there. Okay? He was present when Eve took the fruit. He, he was there, but instead of fighting the lie of the enemy, Adam stands by as his wife is deceived. There's deception taking place in front of him, and he does not address it. And hear me, it is never a loving thing to stay silent when we see someone being deceived and led astray. The world would tell you, oh, the most loving thing that you can do is just let people live their life on, on their own terms, right? Let them do what they want to do, but it's never a loving thing to keep our mouths shut while those around us are deceived, especially those within our own household. And so Adam is there, and instead of saying, hold on, Eve, that's a lie, okay? That serpent is lying to you. He stays silent. The woman is deceived, and she eats. Yes, she eats the fruit first, but Adam is the one who is responsible for the fall of the human race, not Eve, because Eve was deceived when she sinned, and yet Adam sinned with a full knowledge that what he was doing was wrong. 1 Timothy 2.13 tells us for Adam was formed first and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Adam was not deceived. What does that mean? It means that he made a decision to deliberately disobey God. And because of that act, sin entered into the world. It became our nature. Since we are descended from Adam, we all inherit that same sinful nature, and the punishment for that sin is death. Romans 6.23, Paul's going to say the wages of sin is death. Why? Because sin is rebellion against the goodness of God. Think about it. When Adam and Eve took of that fruit, it was mutiny against the giver of every good thing. I mean, they're living in the garden, right? Things are perfect, and rather than focusing on all the good and all the blessing, the serpent put their focus on the one thing that God prohibited, and he made them think that God is somehow holding out on them. And can I just say, he uses the same lie today. When you're walking in the goodness and the blessing of God, the enemy will tell you that God is somehow withholding something from you that's better. And so death entered the world. Two weeks ago, Pastor Floyd spoke about the promises of God. Well, the very first promise of God to Adam is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Regarding the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, here's the promise. In the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now think about that for a moment. Because death and sin are connected, it backs up what we've already said, that all men are sinners, right? Because every one of us is subject to death. From the moment that we are born, we are on our way to the grave. The question is not will we die, but when will we die, right? And that fact is proof that every one of us is a sinner. You see, if you and I were not subject to death, it would demonstrate that we're not under the power of sin. But since you are under death, you are under the power of sin. Now, if you want to prove that, that you're subject to death, well, you don't have to ask to prove it, right? We, we know that so easily our life can be taken from us in just a moment. But also understand this. A sinless man is not subject to death. A sinless man is not subject to death. That's why Jesus could go to the cross and he could pay the penalty for our sin. He could die for us, but he would not stay dead because he's not subject to death like you and I. As human beings, you and I are mortal. We are, are subject to death, even before we commit any sin ourselves. Now, now, why is that, right? 
if mortality is the result of sin, and we know that from the moment we are conceived, we can die, it shows us that we are made sinners by Adam's sin and not by our own personal sin. You are a sinner today, not because you broke God's law, but because Adam did. You and I are made sinners because of what Adam did. Now, it's so important that you get this because our, our very salvation rests on this principle. If you take and you throw out this principle and you say, well, no, I'm a sinner because of what I did. If you throw out this principle that we're made sinners by another man's work, you may not realize it, but you cut the very legs out of the foundation of our salvation. Now, some people will push back against that and say, well, why am I responsible for Adam's sin? Anybody ever, you, you talk to someone, why am I responsible for what that guy did, right? Why am I made a sinner by the work of another man? But, but there's this truth that we see of Adam and Jesus in the scripture really standing as two representatives of the human race. This is what we call federal, federal theology, federal theology. Think about a, a federal system of government. Okay, In a federal system of government, there are representatives that are chosen to speak for the people that they represent. It doesn't always work that way, but, but that's the idea, right? Federal representation. And so Adam speaks for those that he represents, and Jesus speaks for those that he represents. And the real question today is, who's representing you? You can say, hold on, pastor, I, I don't know Adam. <laughs> I didn't choose him, I, didn't, I, I don't know when the vote was, but I didn't vote, oh yes you did. Understand, you cast your vote the very first time you sinned. When you were on the playground in kindergarten and somebody had a truck you wanted and you, you grabbed it away and said, that's mine, right? Every time you sin, you identify yourself with Adam. Yes, you were born into sin, but you also chose it with your actions. But, but I didn't sign up for this. I want to stand on my own two feet. I, I don't need Adam to represent me. I don't need Jesus to represent me. Now, let me say two things about that. If that's what you're thinking this morning, number one, you don't get to make the rules. God does. Right? It's, not, it's not your place to choose how all this works. But secondly, if you could, just imagine, if you could stand for yourself Remember, your righteous works are as filthy rags. Meaning, you on your, your best day, when you think you've got it all together, you still fall short. So if you're gonna stand before the judgment seat of God on your own, you would hear the gavel fall and you would hear the judgment of guilty and God would be totally just to condemn you on your own. But because we are made sinners by one man, I want you to know this, we can also be right, made righteous by one man. You see God's hand in this? Hear me, the only way that we can be made righteous by the work of another man is if we are first made sinners by the work of another man. Listen, if you went out and stole a car and, and you were found guilty of that crime and you're in the courtroom, a friend couldn't come into the courtroom and say, Your, Your Honor, I, I love my friend so much that I want to serve his prison time or her prison time. I, I want to take the punishment that he deserves. The judge would say, Get out of here. You're crazy, right? We're not going to punish you for his crime, right? Like, like that, would be, that wouldn't be fair. He did the, the crime, he's gonna do the time. You see, it would only be fair for another person to pay the penalty if you were guilty because of another person's work. It's only fair that Jesus pays the penalty if we are guilty because of another person's work. And if you wanna say, well, it's not fair that I'm made a sinner by Adam, it's not fair well, then it's also not fair that you're made righteous by Jesus. Are you tracking with me today? 
the reality is we all sinned in Adam. And we all chose to sin in our individual selves. We are guilty because of Adam, but we are made righteous because of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, for sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now I want you to understand here what this verse is not saying, okay? It's not saying that from Adam to Moses, people were not held accountable for their sin. That would contradict so many other passages of Scripture. Even today, we are made sinners because of Adam, not because we break God's law. Sin and death was in the world before the law of Moses was given because of Adam's sin, right? Think about it. The first son of Adam, the very first son of Adam was a murderer, okay? So was his seventh son, right? Before the flood, we're we're told that the, the thoughts of man were only evil continually. Look at verse 14. Yet death reigned, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So even before the law was given, death reigned. This proves that man was under sin before the law, right? The principle of sin is at work in every human heart at that point. He does say that the sins of that era from Adam to Moses, he says this, they're not like the transgression of, uh, of Adam, right? You could say in what way? Well, because again, Adam had a direct command from God and he deliberately broke the one command that God had given him. And so those that came after Adam did not have the direct commands until the law was given, but they did have Adam's sin nature and they also had a conscience and that's why they died. I think Paul makes the point here that their sin had nothing to do with the law because he had previously said that the Jews' righteousness could not come through the law, right? But look at the end of verse 14. Paul says that Adam is a type of the one who was to come. Now, the Old Testament is full of types and and shadows of the coming Messiah in, in order that the world would recognize Jesus when he came. Well, how is Adam a type of Jesus? Maybe you want to write some of these thoughts down. There's space to do it. You could see this, that both Adam and Jesus were completely sinless from the beginning. And, and both of them did things that had consequences for all mankind. But in many ways, you could say that Adam is an anti-type of Christ, okay? Because Adam is the father of all who are born of the flesh, and Jesus is the father of all who are born of the spirit, right? And, and so because of that, we receive Adam's nature at birth, but we receive Jesus' nature when we are born again by the spirit of God. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all live. Adam's one act brought death. Jesus' one act brings life. And where Adam represented mankind and he'd lost the title to rule the earth as the prince of God or the representative of God, Jesus takes that title back and he regains the right to rule. Now look at the contrast there between the work of Adam and Jesus' work there in verse 15. He says this, But the free gift is not like the trespass. He's saying, let me show you how they're different. He says, for if many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So so Adam's trespass, his sin, his offense, had consequences for the entire human race. Death doesn't reign because we sin, it reigns because Adam sinned. And just think about, again about how completely death reigns. Everyone who is born dies, everyone. 
the, the mortality rate for mankind is almost 100%, right? You say there's two things in life that are certain, death and taxes, and if you live in New York, more taxes, right? Because of what Adam did, many died. I've said it before, but it bears repeating. We often think of this world as the land of the living, but it's really the land of the dying. If we are in Christ, though, we are headed to the land of the living, amen? Now, now Jesus' gift also has consequences for the human race, but, but in a very different way. Through the free gift, he says, grace has abounded to many. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So, so here's a, another way the free gift is different than the trespass. Right? The, the judgment for the trespass is condemnation, meaning this, that we will pay for our sins, that, that we will stand condemned before a holy God. But the free gift brings justification. Remember, the, the word justification, it deals with our legal standing before God. It's a legal term, right? Justification, you can think of it as just as if I never sinned. Now, do you see the contrast? Again, I ask, are you in Adam or are you in Jesus? You're going to be represented by one. If you are in Adam, you will receive exactly what you deserve, judgment and condemnation. If you are in Christ, you will receive what you don't deserve, <laughs> grace, God's unmerited favor, and justification. In Adam, we were condemned. In Christ, we can all be justified. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So again, don't miss this. It, it was one sin committed by Adam that brought death into the world. You, you will die because of Adam. In fact, your, your spirit was born dead because of Adam, but that's not the end of the story, okay? There, there is a much greater power than the power of sin, and it's the grace of God. And so all who receive that free gift of justification or of righteousness, hear me, here's the problem, here's the, the promise, if you will, that they will reign in life through Jesus. That's a promise, and it's a good promise. And here's what it means today, that you have the power to break the chains of sin in your life. I think too many believers today identify more with Adam than they do with Jesus, they identify more with their sin nature rather than the new nature that is given to them by the Spirit of God. And when you begin to understand, though, that the Spirit of God is at work in your life, then you realize that you can say no to your old nature, right? You can say no to sin. You can forgive when somebody wrongs you. Why? Because you've received the abundant grace and the very life of Christ is at work in you. When the enemy tells you, oh, you can't stop doing that thing, you, you can't stop thinking that way, or you can't forgive someone, I encourage you, rebuke that lie. Because if you are in Christ, you have an abundance of grace, you've received the free gift of righteousness. Now hear me, that doesn't mean you're perfect right now, but it does mean that God's eyes are upon you, that his favor is upon you, and that means that you can ask your heavenly father for anything that you need in this life to live in a godly way. Is lust a problem in your life? You can go to your heavenly father and ask that you would be so completely satisfied in him that the idolatry of lust would have no power over you. 
Is greed an issue in your life? You can go to your father and ask that he would make you, uh, give you the power to be generous like he's generous. You see, that's what it means to reign in life. It's about living in freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit that is alive and that's working in your spirit. And so, yes, death and taxes are certain, but there's one thing I want to tell you this morning that is more certain for the believer in Jesus Christ, that he or she will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul Paul says this, he says, it's much more. It's much more certain that your spirit can reign in life. Yes, you'll have to persist in the battles that are before you, but, but God will help you to overcome by the power of his spirit. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now he says there that, that one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Does that mean that all men are made righteous by the free gift of God without making a personal decision to receive that gift. Some would argue that, well, if everyone received the the curse of Adam's sin, shouldn't every person receive the benefit of Jesus' obedience? That's not what Paul is teaching here. In fact, he makes it clear again, the free gift is not like the offense. The free gift is not like the trespass, okay? In other words, these two things are not identical in their application. And don't miss how Paul continues to call the work of Jesus a free gift. Notice he doesn't use those words when he describes the work of Adam because what Adam did, that was not a gift. It was a curse, okay? But when we understand what a gift it is, simply the nature of that gift, we understand it needs to be received. Listen, I, I can give you a gift, but if you don't receive that gift, it has no value for you. And while this free gift can be presented to all mankind, we know it's not necessarily received by all men. You see, this idea that all men are saved by the work of Jesus, whether they know it or not, is what's known as universalism, okay? Maybe you've heard of the church, the Unitarian Universalist Church, okay? Um, They don't address sin because they believe Jesus went to the cross. He saved everyone for their sin regardless, right? And so we don't even need to talk about that, right? But we know this that the free gift must be received and received by faith. We also know that Paul is going to clearly teach throughout the book of Romans, throughout the New Testament, that not all men are saved. He's already described men as perishing because of sin. Look at verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Again, Paul is repeating this point to make sure we don't miss it. All died in Adam, but all can live in Jesus and be made right with God. That's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of grace this morning. That it doesn't matter how far you've fallen, right? You can never fall so low that the grace of God can't reach down and pick you up. And here's what I've found. So often, the further some have fallen, the more deeply they love God because of his grace. It is so true that he who has been forgiven much loves much. And honestly, I think our problem so often is that we don't realize how much we've been forgiven because if we did, we would love Jesus that much more. And I would challenge you to ask Jesus to show you how much he's forgiven you. Now that's a scary thing to ask because you have to be prepared for a heartbreaking revelation. But when you see how much you've been forgiven, Oh, you'll love Jesus that much more. 
you'll love Jesus that much more. Good verse 20. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. Paul has already shown us that no one can be justified by the works of the law, right? Like, the law doesn't justify us. And now he's going to say that the law doesn't even make us sinners. Adam did that, right? And so then you could ask, well, what's the purpose of the law? It has a very clear purpose, and it is so that the offense might abound. You see, the law makes sin clearer by contrasting it with God's holy standard. It's, it, it, and, and we need that because we don't realize the depth of our sinfulness. We need the law, right? The law, in one sense, only made things worse for us because now we, we know that something is wrong, and yet we do it anyway, right? But that's good for us in the sense that we realize now how desperately we need a Savior. Paul's going to go back and emphasize this later on. We're going to see it in chapter 7 as well. But here's the thing. Because of our sin nature, so often we can't even see our sinful condition without the revelation of the law, right? Like we need the law. We need God's word in order to drive us to Jesus because we see our desperate need for a Savior. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So we're living in a time, I, I think many of you could say this, where it seems like sin is only increasing, right? Our family had the opportunity to travel the last few weeks. My mom got the whole family together on a cruise through Alaska. And it's always been a dream of mine to see the last frontier. And I got to tell you, Alaska didn't disappoint. I mean, I love you all, but there were times I was thinking about building a cabin out there and just living off the land. Of course, I knew I'd have to do it alone because there's no way my beautiful Puerto Rican wife is going to spend winters in Alaska. New York's tough enough for her, right? But we traveled down through Alaska, and then we ended up in Vancouver, British Columbia. We spent a few extra days there, and Vancouver is a beautiful place if you get outside of the city. Like 20 minutes outside the city, you're in the mountains, you're among the redwoods, it's gorgeous, but downtown Vancouver is it's another story, okay? It's like many of the, the liberal cities in America. As we walked through the streets that last day, I said, let's go to Chinatown. There's something to see over in Chinatown. And as we're walking the streets, there were so many people you saw just doing drugs out in the open, smoking crack pipe out in the open. I'm like, what, what's going on here, right? Heroin, drug use. We stayed in a hotel in, in, in downtown Vancouver the last night, and all you heard was ambulance after ambulance going down the street that night. My daughter did some research the next day while we're in the airport. She found that an average of six people die a day in Vancouver from drug overdose, right? And so we walked those streets, and I got to tell you, it felt like sin abounded. Again, you can look at the world around us right now, and it feels like sin abounds. But here's the truth of God's word. As we get worse, the grace of God abounds all the more. In, in fact, the Greek word there is even more emphatic. What Paul says is that grace superabounds, right? Yes, sin abounds, but God makes his grace superabound over abounding sin. Now think about that for a moment. If grace superabounds over sin, then we can know this. It is impossible to out-sin the grace of God. Like, we can't sin more than God can forgive. We can, however, reject his grace and reject his forgiveness. John says it in the first chapter of his gospel that we have grace piled upon grace piled upon grace in Jesus Christ. And we have to understand today, church, that really the revelation of sin in our life is the grace of God. 
It's the grace of God to bring our hearts to that place of repentance, to that place where we accept that free gift that Paul is writing about. And here's what I've seen so often. The worse people get, the more it seems like God pursues them, right? As, as we look at the world around us today, so many that are denying that sin is sin, right? We see men and women just reveling in and celebrating their passions. At the same time, they overlook the pain that it causes others. They're chasing after things of this world, and at the same time, they're resisting the superabounding grace of God. But here's what I believe today. That grace still is still pursuing them. That grace is still pursuing them. Maybe somebody comes to mind this morning that, man, it seems like they're so far from God. You've been praying, you've been interceding. It seems like they're so far from God. I want to tell you where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. Look at verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As Paul already stated, sin reigned in death. But I want you to know today, church, I want you to know grace point, that grace reigns also. The grace of God reigns also. And that reign of grace is marked by righteousness. It's marked by eternal life through Jesus Christ. Grace reigns through righteousness. You see, there are some churches that are afraid to preach a message of grace because they have this idea that where grace reigns, there is going to be a disregard for righteousness. They think if you talk too much about grace, there will just be this casual attitude for sin. But that's not what the the reign of grace looks like. In fact, Paul writes in his letter to Titus what grace really teaches us. Titus 2.11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Understand, that's what grace does. As grace reigns through righteousness, it's the grace of God that teaches us righteousness. Hear me, when you see sin reigning over mankind like we saw in downtown Vancouver, man, it's heartbreaking, right? It's ugly, it's, it's destructive, it's, it's deadly because sin will always take you further than you want to go and it will always cost you more than you want to pay. But understand, the abounding grace of God reigns through righteousness because when the Spirit of God is at work in your life, he leads you into paths of righteousness. Grace leads to eternal life. And when you receive that grace, you realize, man, life is not just about the breath that I take because one day that breath is gonna stop. Life is really about living in an eternal relationship with Jesus. Would you stand with me as we prepare to close today? I want you to understand, church, that real life comes through Jesus our Lord. Real life comes when when he takes our life and all of a sudden we experience abundant life. And hear me, the world will offer you freedom that's no freedom at all. But when you know Jesus is the Lord of your life, you can truly know what it is to be free. And those who reign in life now over their old nature, can I just say we are certainly going to reign with Jesus in eternity. But I want to close with a question. It's one I asked earlier. Heads bowed around the room this morning. I want you to just take a moment to seriously think about this. Who represents you this morning? Is your identity connected with sinful Adam? Or is it connected with righteous Jesus? Because again, one is going to represent you. 
What do you have to do to choose Adam? Nothing. Again, you've already chosen him. You were born choosing him. You chose him through the first sin you committed and every act of sin thereafter. And so you don't have to choose Adam. You've already chosen him. But if you would say today, I I don't want to be found in Adam. I want to be found in Jesus. All you have to do is by faith receive the free gift. Again, the words gift are never applied to what Adam did. That's not a gift. It's, It's a burden. It's a burden that's put on us, but here's the good news of the gospel. It's a burden that you can escape from by receiving the free gift that Jesus gives. Jesus brought a free gift, and he holds it out before you this morning. Again, you and I, we were born with a debt before God. You might say, I didn't have anything to do with that, but the truth is that God offers you salvation that you didn't have anything to do with either. It's a salvation you can have freely, and so I implore you this morning to put your trust in Jesus. Let him be your representative. Let him stand in your place. Let him speak for you. That death would no longer have dominion over your life. But at the same time, I realize many of you in this room, you've already done that. You've already turned over your life to Jesus. You said, Lord, I want you to be my representative. But if you're honest this morning, you live in a way where you identify more with Adam than you do with your standing with Jesus. But as we're going to see next week, when you come to Christ, your identification with Adam should be a distant memory. Oh yes, I I know our sinful nature is going to stay with us until our redemption is fully complete at the resurrection. But I believe that God wants you to see your identification in Jesus right now today. That you would stop thinking of yourself as that, that same old sinner and begin to live differently. That you would understand this morning that the reign of grace through righteousness is even more certain than sin and death. And so as we close, maybe you just need to ask the Lord this morning. Maybe you just need to ask him to give you the faith, not just to receive his gift, but to actually live in it, to live under the reign of grace. As we close today, if you need a fresh revelation of God's grace, just ask him for it. If you find yourself trying to prove you're worthy of God's love, ask him for a fresh revelation that his grace is what makes you worthy. If you find it hard to believe that God is your friend, that his his favor is actually toward you, ask him for a fresh revelation of his grace. If you struggle to believe that you have access to the very presence of God, ask him to reveal his grace anew. Because here's what I know, church. If you can get a hold of his grace today, you'll find that you'll spend more time praising God and less time hating yourself. You'll rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. If that's your desire today, just ask for it. As the worship team leads us in just a moment, ask for a fresh revelation of God's grace over your life, that he would just pour that out. Again, God wants to give you everything you need to live the life that he's called you to live. So just ask for it. Say, Holy Spirit, come. Give me a revelation of your grace as we prepare to close. Just let that be your prayer. We're going to take just a moment before we sing a song and you do business with God, just ask him to reveal his grace afresh and anew to you this morning.